welcome to the Equipus Church Surrey podcast. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. We talked about that if you really see something, it's going to compel you to say it. You know, when you pick up a menu in a restaurant, you see what you like, you say what you like. You know, you don't see it and then say something different. You know, yeah, chicken curry, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a lamb uh, madras. You know, I mean, you, you, you say what you see. And it's as simple as that. And sometimes when we don't have the right confession, it's because we actually don't have any revelation in our spirit. And, and if you don't have any revelation in your spirit, that's okay. Hang around with people who do. Hang around with people who do have that revelation. Hang around with people who you think, wow, this person's got something. The disciples hung around with Jesus. And, you know, I wrote a definition of leadership some years ago. Leadership is the ability to uh, inspire confidence in others so that they trust and follow you. It begins as a personal commitment to you as an individual, but it ends with their commitment to the vision that you've seen all along. Do you get that? And, and, and so it's about catching something. It's about something being birthed in your heart. And once it's birthed in your heart, it can never be taken away. Once Peter saw you on the Messiah, the son of the living God, nobody could ever take that away because flesh and blood didn't put it in there. So if flesh and blood didn't put it in there, flesh and blood can't take it away. And God wants to birth something in our hearts. He wants us all to see something. And sometimes you, in order to be wise, you have to walk with the wise. That's what Proverbs tells us. So if you want revelation, walk with people who have revelation. I remember I got the privilege a few years ago of spending a week with Michael Maiden traveling around seven cities in Europe. And they're like, wow, there's a guy with prophetic insight. You know, revelation just flows out of him. I just, you know, like we'd be on a plane together and I would just lean over to touch him. You know what I mean? It's like impartation. He was sleeping and I was praying. You know, just give me some of that, Lord. And, 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 you know, this is how it works. This is what discipleship is all about, really. It's allowing yourself to be influenced by others, but you get to choose who influences you. You know, and sometimes when we're younger, we don't make the wisest choices, do we? Uh, sometimes when we're younger, we're choosing people to influence us who lead us down pathways and roads that actually end in tears and they end in heartache. So be wise, be wise in who you allow to influence your life. Because who you allow to influence you is going to make deposits into you. And if you walk with the wise, you become wise. I love that. You know, you may be an idiot today. But you don't have to die an idiot. I mean, the Bible tells us foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So actually, we all begin life as idiots. But some of us die as idiots. That's really sad. Because there's a possibility of change and transformation. There's a possibility that we catch something that changes our lives. And when Peter got that revelation, it changed his life. It changed his confession. And uh, he still had a lot to learn, you know. I mean, it wasn't long after that he said, you know, when Jesus talked about going to the cross, he said, oh, no, Lord, be it far from you. And the same, the same person who Jesus said, flesh and blood has, has not revealed this to you, said, get behind me, Satan kind of feel sorry for Peter. I do, I'm sorry. I mean, he's the only man in the Bible that Jesus called Satan. It's like, oh man, that's rough, isn't it? Can you imagine, can you imagine those disciples? If those disciples were anything like the pastors in Equippers, 
I promise you, breakfast the following day would have been horrendous. <laughs> it would be like this. It would be, hey, can you pass the butter, Satan? <laughs> would you like some more coffee, Satan? Just say what Jesus said. No, we, we can still stuff up even when we've got revelation, which is why it's a journey. It's why it's coming into relationship. And I want to encourage you, come on, don't let anything keep you away from fellowship. Now, now listen, if there's government rules that we need to obey, fair enough. Okay, we'll do that. We'll find a way. But listen, if, if it's okay, if they say it's okay, let's, let's take advantage. Come on, I'm a great believer in koinonia. Community, fellowship, being together. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. Listen, Jesus might live in your heart by the Holy Spirit, but he's never in your midst until you're with at least two other people. Where two or three are gathered. Come on. So, so, so don't let life and fear or circumstances or anything like that. I mean, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, what's going to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Can life or death, things present, things to come, angels, principalities, powers, can anything separate us? No! Nothing can separate We are more than conquerors. He who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Come on, whatever you lack tonight, you don't have to live with lack the rest of your life. God is determined to meet that lack and to give you abundance. That's just the introduction. I want to talk a little bit about, I talked about, as seeing this morning, I talked about saying this morning, we need to be people who have the right kind of confession. And that depends on what's in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like it. Where's Caleb, by the way? Where's he sitting? Has he gone out? You're, oh, you're hiding back there. Caleb, can you just stand where you are? Then people, everyone knows who you are. Okay, Caleb, I looked at you earlier, and I, I actually found myself praying for you today. And uh, here's what I felt like the Lord said, you're not overlooked. And part of your destiny is, I heard two things the Lord say, your parents have named you very prophetically. You're a man who will take mountains. And when Caleb said, give me this mountain, he was going to fight with the tallest, fiercest uh, giants that were in the land of Canaan. Everyone else was normal, but on the mountain, They were fierce people. And taking a mountain is very difficult because when you've got the heights, you've got the advantage. But I just feel like, just like Caleb in the Bible, he's of a different spirit. You've got a rich inheritance. You've got a generational inheritance that God is going to amplify in your life. And there's something about you taking areas, other people would say nothing can happen there. It's been tried. It's been done before. And something in you is going to rise up of faith that says, give me this mountain. And God's going to give it to you. God's going to give you victory in places no one else had victory. You're going to end up reaping where others have sowed. and, And a harvest is coming to you in the future. So I bless you, young man. And thank you, Jesus, for him. Um, Richard, this is going to sound really funny. I was, uh, just during worship, I felt like the Lord put your name on my heart. And I said, Lord, what do you want to say to this man? 
I felt like the Lord said, this man is like Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> and it's like you have a lion heart. There's a sound and a roar that comes out of you that is all about making space for other people. It's like when the roar is there, that which is fearful of the roar moves away, but that which embraces the roar draws closer. Um, I think it's in the book of Proverbs. It says, the wicked flee when no one's pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And the, the sound that God is creating in your life is a sound that is going to attract the righteous, but it's going to alienate uh, those, who, who are, those who are wicked. And in that, you're creating space for the righteous to then flourish. You're creating space for them to emerge. And the other word that I had for you from the Lord is that um, a gentle tongue shall break a bone. And, and that God is put a, he's putting, he is cultivating a spirit of gentleness in you. And that it isn't going to be harshness that breaks bones, it's going to be gentleness that breaks bones. And, and, and it's perhaps something you haven't even experienced from your childhood. I just sense that there's, there's a sense in which you've never been taught this, but the Lord is teaching you this. And the Lord is doing something new with you in a new season. And, and it's that gentle spirit. Um, it says, uh, your gentleness has made me great. David wrote that in the Psalms. And then it's the gentleness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's a spirit, even though you've got this lion heart roar, you've got this gentle spirit that goes hand in hand with it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to really help people flourish under your leadership. So I bless you as well and your ministry. So, yeah, back to Caleb. Not this one, but the one in the Bible. You know, a different spirit. If God, you know, Joshua and Caleb said, if God delights to give us the land, let us go up at once and possess it. It was, it was the word in their spirit that caused them to have a confession of faith and of possibility. And, and you know, faith is all about possibilities. It's about what lies ahead. And when you're on this side of the possibility, it looks impossible. But, but when you cross over, when you, when you begin to move towards it, taking steps of faith, that's when the miracle happens. That's when the, that's when the breakthrough happens. And God wants us to be this people where we've got a, a confession. But also, finally, he wants us to be people who do things. And Noah, he actually built an ark. He got revelation. He had a confession. God showed me judgment's coming, but he did something. He built an ark. John writes in his first letter, these are the things Jesus began to both to do and to teach. And you and I, we, we have been made in order to do stuff. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10, it says this, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. Is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that were before ordained we should walk in. That's amazing. So we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. Do you get the difference there? It's not our effort that saves us, but once saved, God has prepared works that we are meant to walk in. You're his workmanship. Do you know the Greek word there is poema? It's where we get the English word poem. I don't know if you can think about that for a moment. You know, I don't know about you, I love Shakespeare. I love reading Shakespeare. I love listening to Shakespeare. 
You know, I go to the Globe Theatre occasionally to just watch a play there in the South Bank. But just a poem, a sonnet by Shakespeare, is one of the most beautiful things that you can read. You know, I, I think it's uh, sonnet 118, but a sonnet is so beautiful. You know, it's 14 lines. It's written in iambic pentameter. Now, don't worry if you don't understand that, but that's just a beautiful way of phrasing a poem. And there it is in all these couplets. You, you get a poem like, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling bloods of May. And summer's lease has all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines. And often is his gold complexion dim. <coughs> and from fair to fair. Oh, well, we can go on. But <laughs> my point is this. You can clap. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about this one? To be or not to be? That is the question. I mean, you could say, should I commit suicide? Shouldn't I commit suicide? I don't know. You could write that. But then you can do it the way Shakespeare does. To be or not to be? That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of trouble and by opposing in them, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, I there's the rub. What dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil. There's the pause that makes calamity of so long a life. And, you know, it's just beautiful stuff. Well, well, when you hear that, look at the person next to you and say, you're a poem. You have been, you have been crafted by our Father in heaven in exactly the same way. Now, sometimes we look at one another and we say, you're a disaster. We look at you, you're a troublemaker. You, you are a headache walking around. You are an accident waiting to happen. Sometimes that's how we perceive each other. But God looks at you and he says, you are a piece of workmanship crafted by me. Beautiful in every sense. And we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in. In other words, you are perfectly suited for the destiny that God has created for you. You don't have to be jealous about someone else. You don't have to be jealous about their hair or about their eyes or about their muscles. I, honestly, you know, I train with Neil. Well, we used to train. Kind of COVID kind of put pay to that for a bit. But, you know, have you seen the guns on Neil? It's like, compared to me, it's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I used to go to the gym, and I, I swear I had the thinnest arms and the thinnest legs of any man in the gym my size. It's just, you know, and for a long while, he sort of makes you feel a little insecure, a little bit self-conscious, you know? But it's like, ah, ah, you know, flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> Is that true? Come on. Sometimes we get uptight and jealous over all the wrong stuff. There's nothing wrong with you. The way God has shaped you for your destiny, it is perfect. You are a poem. You're a workmanship. And, and the stuff that only you can do and only you are suited to do. And you don't have to be jealous of someone else's calling and someone else's ability. Because your calling is just as unique. And God wants you to discover who you are. Now, you, you, you may copy other people in the process. I'm not against that. 
Because often in copying, we find who we are. But there's, there's an authenticity in you that God wants you to discover. He wants you to uncover. And when we do that, we start to do the things that we are made for. Now, let, let me give you some keys here. It all begins with servanthood. It all begins with servanthood. This is what Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty seven: Who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? That's a good question, isn't it? Who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Now, if you're a restaurant owner, that's easy to answer. It's your customers. It's the guy paying the bill. It's the guy who, who decides to order filet mignon. It's like, yes, that's the most expensive thing on almost every menu. It's my favorite dish. You usually have to have two people to afford to have a filet mignon. So I like to go to a restaurant with someone else who also likes steak. It's a steak, by the way, for all of you young people who wonder, you know, that's a French way of saying it. <laughs> who is greater? The one who sits at the one who, then Jesus says this, is it not the one who sits at the table? That is actually the right answer. That is actually the right answer. Everyone who owns a business understands this. It's your customers. And then Jesus says this, yet I'm among you as one who serves. Hey, I'm the waiter. I'm the guy nobody notices. I'm the guy nobody looks at. Because the servant is never a threat to anybody. Because the servant is not playing power games. The servant is there to do one thing, to serve. And we live in a world where people play power games. They, they want to be over others. They want to control. They want to do dominate. They want to manipulate. They want to be top dog. Jesus said, I'm here as one who serves. I haven't come to play those power games. I've come to come under and to lift you up. And I, I tell you, one of the biggest mistakes we've made, I think, in the charismatic Pentecostal movement is that we've created and institutionalized leadership to the degree that the apostle is at the top, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And we've created a hierarchy of authority. The only hierarchy in the kingdom of God is a hierarchy of competence. In other words, what's your gift of grace? And when you function out of your gift of grace, that's where the authority lies. It lies in the grace of God and ministering out of the grace of God. And either that authority is recognized or it isn't. Jesus had a, a grace on his life. The Pharisees didn't recognize it. You didn't go to our Pharisaical school. You don't have our qualifications. You don't dress like we do. They didn't recognize, but everyone else did. And that's why Jesus had a big following. And they were jealous of his following. They wanted that. They wanted the crowds. But Jesus ministered as a servant. He ministered out of grace. And that gave him spiritual authority. Do you get this? So Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, they are servant ministries to the church to build up the church and release the church into its destiny. And when you discern that grace operating, you do well to receive it. Because the Bible says if you receive the prophet in the name of a prophet, guess what? You get the prophet's reward. Think about that. I mean, if I was to say to you, if you receive a millionaire in the name of a millionaire, you get a millionaire's reward. You'd understand what I'm talking about. 
but you don't have to be a prophet to get the reward of a prophet. You simply have to receive in the sense of saying yes and welcoming their ministry into your life as a grace ministry to edify and build you up. Do you get this? So make it your goal in the doing to be a servant. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul's purpose was, I want to win people. How do you win people? You serve them. He says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, a Greek. In other words, he made the shift. So often what we're doing is we're asking others to make the shift. No, you make the shift. You go to where they are. You identify with them. You serve them. That's the doing part. But you have to see it and say it before you can do it. Do you get it? I think one of the greatest ways that we can serve people is through the kinds of things we're doing, the gift giving. Do you know hospitality is one of the most amazing, understated ministries within the body of Christ? Hospitality. The word hospital comes from hospitality. It comes from the Greek word um, xenophilia, um, a love of strangers. Two Greek words, philio, to love, and xeno, foreigner, stranger. So xenophilia is a love of strangers. Xenophobia is a fear of strangers, a fear of foreigners. There's a lot of xenophobia today. But xenophilia is about a love of strangers. That's, That's the root of the word hospitality. So how can we show love to the outsider? How can we show love to the stranger? In fact, in the early church, you couldn't be a leader in the church unless you were given to hospitality, unless you had hosted people. And, and this is such an amazing way. Paul says this in Romans 12, 13. He says, Give, distributing to the needs of the saints, that's pretty good, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. Hey, when was the last time you took someone out for a meal? When was the last time you took someone out for a coffee? My treat. When was the last time you decided, hey, Esther, I want to serve on the hospitality team. How do I do that? How do I get involved in making teas and coffees and making people feel welcome? How can I get involved in hosting so I'm there with my smile to greet people? Now, now I I know there are some people who their heart has not yet told their face they're happy. Have you, met, have you met them? They're the worst people to have on the door. You, you really don't want them greeting people. So glad you're here today. You know, with the iron handshake. <laughs> you, want, you want people where the joy is overflowing. But, but it's just so amazing when you've got people who are doing that. You know, I love the way as our church has grown, we've just gone out of our way to help people and to serve people. I love how we do that because that's the heart of Jesus. You know, he was the one who washed feet. Can you imagine everyone walked, everyone walked into that upper room and they, they looked at that bowl of water and they looked at that towel and they thought, yeah, that's not me. I don't feel led. Yeah, that's not my grace. You know, and they just walked into the room. Everyone walked into the room. Because if you were the foot washer, you were the lowest of the low of the low. 
In Roman society, they had nine different classes of slave. The top slave was the chef because they loved to entertain. And everyone wanted the best chef because they knew if Caesar was going to come to town, he'd want to eat in the best house with the best chef. So if you were a a slave and you were a chef and you could cook well, you were a little bit of a Gordon Ramsay, your life was made. You're like, because you were cooking all the time. The second most important one was the hairdresser. Because Paul and Timothy, uh, Paul, sorry, and Peter both had to write to the women in the churches and say, ladies, when you come to church, please don't have gold braided hair with pearls in there. Please don't do that. Because it makes all the other women who are slaves, it makes them feel a bit inferior and it makes you stand out. So could you not do that when you come to a public meeting? Do you get it? Don't show off your wealth. Show off your love for Jesus and for the church by being just a little bit more modest. So these were the top ones. So you, you went, you know, number one, number two, number three, number four, number, number nine, the foot washer. Stinky feet all day. There you were on the door. You know, it's like, where have you been? <laughs> it's like, you know, cotton wool up the nose. You just... You don't know what that guy had to deal with. And then Jesus takes off his robe, girds himself with a towel and starts to wash feet. Oh, my goodness. Now, if you are those guys watching Jesus, it's like, oh, I feel so bad right now. You can tell Peter felt bad because he said, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. (laughs) Wash all of me. And that's embarrassing, isn't it? It's like you're a grown man. No, I'm not going to bath you. Your mother did that and stopped when you were five, you know. (laughs) That's in your Bible, by the way. I'm not making this up. And Jesus said, look, he he was clean. You're clean through the word I've spoken to you. He who's clean does not need to be bathed again. Just needs his feet washed. But no one wanted to do this. And Jesus said, do you see what I've done? If I then your Lord and Master have done these things, I want you to do it too. Serving one another, hospitality, choosing to do the thing no one else wants to do. It's always interesting to me, you know, when you watch people make excuses about not wanting to do things. It's like, okay, we just got further to go before we learn this lesson. That's what it is. That's what it's like with children, isn't it? When you're asking children to tidy the room and then one magical day it's tidy and you think, oh, somebody get me a drink. It's like, oh my goodness, they've actually learned the lesson. Serving is, is, so acts of service. If you want to make an impact in the world, begin with acts of service. If you want to take it up a notch, move into acts of mercy. How many of you know acts of mercy are not easy to do because you only give mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it, in your opinion? So the story of this good Samaritan is this is a guy doing something good to a Jewish man who within their cultural context, they don't even speak together, they certainly don't sit together, they definitely don't eat together, and they certainly talk badly about one another. But he is moved with compassion. Why? Because this man is broken and he's dying and he's left on the side of the road and nobody is stopping to do anything. And something in this man says, I'm going to overcome my prejudice. I'm going to overcome my opinion. I'm going to overcome how society views this particular individual. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get involved. 
And if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, it's an amazing story because not only does he bind his wounds, not only does he put him on his donkey, but he walks him to an inn and takes care of him for the rest of the day. His entire schedule goes out of the window. Can you imagine that? Imagine your day being disrupted because of an act of mercy. Sorry, I've got an important appointment at four o'clock. Got to go. Hasta la vista. The Lord bless you. No, mercy is about doing the uncomfortable and the inconvenient. That's mercy. That, that's not just serving now. That's showing the compassion of God to people who society thinks doesn't deserve it. That's an amazing thing. And I, I, I think, you know, Jesus asked this question in Luke 10 at the end of that story. He said, which one of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Jesus asks a question. And the Pharisee responds, he who showed mercy to him. I've always found it fascinating that he didn't say the Samaritan. He couldn't say the words. The, 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 the one who showed mercy. <laughs> that would be too much to do that because of his prejudice. So Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go and do likewise. Go and do. See, it's the doing part. That only comes out of seeing something differently. <clears throat> I love this. In Ephesians 2.4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. People who have a capacity for love have a great capacity for mercy. Because mercy is love in action. So, so, so begin by serving, acts of service, but move into acts of mercy. And just ask the Lord, well, who in your world has God given you that, that perhaps people think are undeserving, but are broken, and they're hurting, and they don't realize perhaps sometimes that they need help? To be involved with those kinds of people and to extend the mercy of God, this is an amazing thing. It says this, in Exodus 25, 21, it says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now remember, the ark of the covenant was where they had the law, they had the manna, and they had Aaron's rod that budded. It was all put inside a box that was covered in gold, the ark of the covenant. It represents Jesus. The wood represents his humanity. The gold represents his divinity. Here was this ark. And then on top of that, they had a mercy seat that rested on top of the ark. The mercy seat always rests upon Jesus and the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And then it says, and the ark shall be, uh, and in the ark shall be the testimony that I will give you. That's the law. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. In other words, God says, when I dialogue with you, when I speak to you, I want you to know it's in the place where mercy is victorious over judgment. You're going to come here, and in this mercy seat that is over the ark, over the work and the person of Jesus, that's where I'm going to dialogue with you. So that when God speaks to us today, he speaks to us over the mercy seat. He doesn't speak with judgment. He doesn't speak with condemnation. He doesn't speak with criticism. He speaks from his heart of mercy. What would happen if we had a church filled with people who were doing that? That when we speak to one another, we speak from the mercy seat. 
you know, when we fail, we need somebody who will speak to us from the mercy seat. <laughs> Not from the place of judgment, but from the mercy seat. You know, when David confessed his sin before Nathan, Nathan looked at him and said, God has already put away your sin. He was speaking from the place of mercy. He didn't deserve it. He'd done horrendous things, but God had already put away his sin. Even before he repented, God dealt with it. Can you believe that? Listen, if you're here tonight, you've never said yes to Jesus. I want to tell you, God's already dealt with your sin before you ever say your need for a savior. It happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. Jesus Christ, when he said, Father, forgive them, he was thinking of everyone in human history who ever needs forgiveness. He was proclaiming it. And that redemption, that forgiveness is an inheritance every single one of us can receive. It's already there waiting to be claimed. The Father is already willing to forgive because of what Jesus did. Acts of service, acts of mercy, finally, acts of power. See, if, if you want to go another step further, I believe that we begin to believe God for acts of power. By acts of power, I mean this, where we see miracles, where we see healings, where we start to believe God for things that we've never believed God before. Listen, acts of service are good. Washing feet is good. Hospitality is good. Blessing people is good. Acts of mercy is even better because it's taking all that serving to the people who don't really deserve it. But acts of power is a demonstration of the greatness of God. Ephesians 1.19 says this. Paul says, I, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart understanding would know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then he says this, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So the power of God is towards us who believe. So when we start to hold out and believe God, God's going to heal cancer. God's going to heal COVID. God's going to heal sickness. God's going to heal disease. God's going to provide the money that we need to buy the buildings that we need. God is going to give us the green light that we need. That when man says no and God says go, who do you think is going to prevail? We have a go in Matthew 28. We have a mandate from heaven. We have a Savior who's far above principalities, powers, thrones and dominions and has been given to be head over all things to the church. That's you and me. It's towards us who believe. What are you believing for? Come on, what are you, what are you, where is the power of God in your life? Sometimes it's power to overcome sin. Sometimes it's power to overcome sickness. Sometimes it's power to overcome poverty and debt. Sometimes it's power to overcome unemployment. You don't have to be in the same situation forever and ever. You don't have to be discouraged and despondent. You just need a few people to stand with you and say, I'm believing God that His power is going to break out in your world. His power is going to break out in your life. Something is going to change from today. You've been serving. You've been ministering. You've been acts of mercy. But now we're going to see the power of God break out in a new way. Come on, friends. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray together. I'm excited. I'm excited about where we're going. Come on, we could look back on where we've been. 
That's not a bad thing as long as you don't get sentimental about it. Looking back is good if it creates appreciation. But we need to be a people who constantly look forward. Come on, God's doing a new thing in these days. Uh, We've got to be positioning ourselves as those people who've been created for good works that we should walk in. Those good works are acts of service, acts of mercy, acts of power. God wants to use you. God wants to use you tonight. So if you're somebody who desires that in your life, you desire to be used by the Lord, maybe you're just saying, oh, I just want to begin with acts of service, Lord. (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's a great place to start. But maybe you've been doing that for a while. You you want God to enlarge your heart now and say, God, bring me someone into my world who needs a bit of mercy. You know, we have a young man that we know, a young man, he's in his 30s. When you're as old as I am, everyone's young. He did some work for us on our house. Some of it wasn't the best. I had to confront him, I had to talk to him. He's got some issues. And it would have been so easy for me to make a demand. I want, I want my money back or I want that redone. But I felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, just give him mercy. Give him what he doesn't deserve. And I'm telling you, it was challenging. It's like, I paid for this. It's not money. I got my rights as a consumer. I hate that word consumer. <laughs> Consumers. They're takers. We're givers. So I gave him mercy. I said, hey, buddy, it's okay. I don't want you to stress about this. Every time he saw me, he felt guilty. I said, look, just let it go, man. Let it go. I'm letting it go. Don't worry. Don't worry. A little bit of mercy. But I long for the day when we see the power of God breaking out more and more. Don't you? I I, I long for that day. The difficulty is this. The miracle's here and we're here. (laughs) There's a gap. There's the miracle. I love that. I love standing here. Let's talk about the miracle. Because I'm here and I've experienced it. You know, I got healed. I got money. I got provision. Talking about the miracle when you're here is fantastic. Talking about a miracle when you're here is really unnerving. Because while you're here, you have to take steps towards here and believe. That's a lot harder. Come on, if you want this stuff in your life, friends, just put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. Because I believe God wants to empower us by His Holy Spirit. He wants to lead us by His Spirit. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your successes are, what your failures are. God wants to use you right now in this new season. So Father, I pray for your empowering presence to come right now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for a company of people that said it's worthwhile coming out Sunday night. It's worthwhile to meet with believers. It's worthwhile to be in your presence. God, I ask that you'd honor that this week. I'd ask that you'd honor that where acts of service, the people, simple things that they do will have amazing impact on the people they do them to. Father, there will be an opportunity to be merciful towards somebody who doesn't deserve it and let it shock them. 
into asking, why would you do that? Father, let this be a week where we believe you for acts of power to break out into our world, into our families, into our situations. If you're here tonight, you're believing for healing. Would you just lift your hand up high? Lift it up if you're believing for healing. If you see a hand high, just just lay a hand, and you're next to them, just lay a hand on it right where you are. We're just going to have a moment. Right here, yeah. Just make sure someone's laying hands. Yeah, thank you. Spirit of God, right now, we come in the name of Jesus. We declare that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord who heals us that you would not put on us any of the diseases of Egypt, that you're the God who makes us whole. And we proclaim wholeness. We proclaim deliverance. We proclaim healing right now in Jesus' name. We speak against sickness, disease. We speak against symptoms of pain. We speak, Father, over conditions on the heart, on conditions on the lungs, on conditions on the kidneys, on the liver. We speak wholeness in the mighty name of Jesus. We speak against fatigue right now in Jesus' name and tiredness that's supernatural. We break it off in Jesus' name. We release, Father, every negative effect from things in the past, from drugs and those things, negative effects, Father, that linger today. We break it off in Jesus' name and we release brand new beginnings. We release healing and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray shalom from head to toe, healing and wholeness and restoration in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. One more thing before we go, friends. If you're here tonight, you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago, and a friend brought you tonight, or you found yourself here, and God has been speaking to your heart, you are His poem. You're His workmanship. He has a plan and a destiny for you to fulfill. It's not over till it's over. And you're here tonight and all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. He wants to come into your life. He wants to fill you with His presence. He wants to place you in a community of people called a church where you can do life together with others and cheer one another on. If that's you tonight and that speaks to your heart, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to do something very, very brave in a moment. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I am going to ask you to raise a hand when I say. When you raise that hand, what you're doing is you're saying yes to forgiveness, yes to a new beginning, yes to being God's workmanship and letting Him work out His plan in your life. If that's you right now, really, really bravely, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Stick your hand up high and say, yeah. Thank you. I see that hand at the back. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. Anyone else? Lift it up high. Can I have the lights up a little bit, guys, so I can see better? Anyone else? Lift it up high. Let me see it. You can put it down again now, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Take a moment. We had three people this morning saying yes to Jesus. Come on, one lady, it was only her third time in church, said yes to Jesus. This is an exciting moment. Just a little second longer, I just sense the Holy Spirit speaking to someone. Take this moment. If your heart is racing, put your hand up. That's God calling you. He's saying, yeah, I want you. I want to use you. 
We're going to pray out loud together, friends. Just help someone come into the kingdom. Say this prayer out loud, nice and clear, as a declaration of faith. Follow me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross that has paid for all of my sins. Thank you for the resurrection that secures my forgiveness and my destiny. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's my Lord. Amen. Let's give God a big clap. Come on, friends. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to connect with Equippers Church, then please visit equippers.co.uk and say hello. And if you enjoyed today's message, you can subscribe and share it with a friend.